Uh, so this one might have uh, slipped past everyone uh, for a couple of different reasons, but this was in Delaware Online, um, April 6, 2021. Shannon Marvel McNaught. Uh, headline. Family says police shot and killed Seaford woman through closed door. The family of a Seaford woman says a Delaware state police officer shot and killed her through a closed door. Police went to Danny Drive in Seaford the evening of March 25th, quote, to assist medical personnel, unquote. The Delaware state police spokesman Heather Pepper said, as both medical personnel and police were, quote, engaging 51-year-old Kelly Rooks, quote, she armed herself with a firearm and threatened the individuals with a weapon, Pepper said. An officer reacted by shooting her. Pepper said that night Rooks was in the midst of a mental health crisis and called 911 for help, according to a statement her family issued through their lawyer. April 6th, a Delaware state police trooper who answered the call fired through a closed door, killing her. She died behind a bedroom door on the floor of her house. The statement read. It does not say how the family came to this conclusion, nor if anyone else was home at the time of the shooting. The family also addressed a quote a neighbor, a neighbor gave to the Delaware Online reporter March 26, in which he said Kelly answered the door with a gunshot and police returned fire. The neighbor has since, quote, confirmed to representatives of the family that he did not witness or hear Miss Rooks answer the door with a gunshot, according to the statement. The Rooks family is being represented by attorneys Patrick Gallagher and Rianne Warner at Jacobson Crumpler. They were asked, uh, they, they are asking anyone with information about the circumstances of the death to come forward. As her family, we have serious concerns about the circumstances of Kelly's death, and we insist upon a credible investigation to uncover the truth. As a human being, she deserves better, the statement reads. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I did see that. I actually um, sent it to um, my representative because that is, she is at least, the second person, I believe maybe third, to have been killed by um, law enforcement during the time, since the commission of the task force. Um, Lyman Moses was killed, um, you know, while we were still meeting, while the task force was still meeting. And so um, it definitely makes the urgency of our letter even more so. Well, comrades and friends, hello. This is Rob from the Highlands Bunker Studios. Carl is on from a remote location. And we are joined by uh, Crystal Womack. She is an organizer and an activist at Network Delaware. Uh, and she was one of the signatories of a letter um, sent to lawmakers uh, last week uh, about the ineffectiveness of the task force around law enforcement reform. And basically giving it a vote of no confidence. But I'm uh, happy to speak uh, to Crystal today. Thanks for joining. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Cool. Yeah, so let's let's dive into this letter and, and, and see kind of where it goes. Um, I want to I want to read um, I want to read Yasser Payne's statement. Um, he is a signatory uh, and uh, obviously was, was also, he's a friend of the podcast. Um, we've spoken uh, several times uh, on here, and I want to read his quote. People continue to be killed at the hands of police while the task force continues to meet and legislators stand idly by. Families and individuals whose lives and loved ones have been impacted by our current law enforcement system do not need a task force to explore the deep-rooted issues in policing. They live it daily. We must end the practice of policing police, of police policing themselves now. Um, yeah, I mean, I've called for uh, the law enforcement officer's Bill of Rights to be completely repealed. Um, as we've said on many occasions on this show, it's, it's, it is in itself a radical policy um, that there's no, you know, there's no, there's no reason for it. Um, but Last year, was it last year, I guess, when the, when the set of committees were put together um, to explore this, can you give us some background about how those committees were set up, 
um, basically who was on them and what they were tasked with researching at the onset. Yep. So the General Assembly commissioned the task force um, in June towards the end of their session last year when, um, you know, the George Floyd protests were going on nationwide and in um, Delaware. And so they uh, so just so to get the structure, because this is important, there is a law enforcement accountability task force that the General Assembly commissioned. That task force has, I believe it's four subcommittees. Um, and so on the actual task force itself, there are no um, civilians, like there are no community groups or organizers, activists on the task force. Now the subcommittees, um, there are. So there is a subcommittee for use of force. There's one for transparency and accountability. Um, that's the one that I sit on. There is uh, one for training and then one for community policing. And so um, there are 72 people throughout all four subcommittees. And like I said, those are the activists, the community organizers sit, sit on those, but not the actual task force itself. So the subcommittees were charged with, you know, um, coming up with recommendations that had to do with their, you know, the topic of each subcommittee. So the one that I sit on, transparency and accountability, has a lot to do with Leo Board and making changes to the law enforcement officer's bill of rights. Um, so we were, each subcommittee was tasked with coming up with recommendations to the task force. The task force would then vote on those recommendations, scale them down or up as they saw fit before um, submitting them to the General Assembly. So let's go through uh, a few things that you've noted here um, before we get into like a broader conversation of, of what's sort of going on um, in the community, um, what these task forces actually are. I want to go through the, the points that you've made uh, in the letter of no confidence. Um, the first one, uh, recommendations for police reform have not been provided in a timely manner. Um, so the committees were established in June of last year. Um, and eight months later, ha the task force has yet to produce any final recommendations at all. Uh, have well, where where does that stand now? I said ten months, right? Uh, oh yes, excuse me. Yeah, that's right. In Jan, because it says uh, le the, when the legislative session started in January, so now it's been ten months. Correct. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah. So for, so ten months later, um, the actual committee of legislators has yet to produce any recommendations. Um, what has has recommend have recommendations been sent to has have specific policy changes and recommendations been sent up through the subcommittees to them? No. So my subcommittee did vote on recommendations, and I believe um, the, ma the majority of the rest of them did, too. I think there might be one subcommittee that, that hasn't yet, but we've sent our recommendations to the task force. The task force has not delivered those recommendations to the General Assembly yet. The second one, black and brown communities have not been adequately involved in the process. Um, this does not, um, you know, this doesn't really surprise me. Um, you know, I, I hesitate to, to use the word token, but that's what you see in these, uh, most often. And I think maybe we'll start the conversation here about the whole task force idea is a, is a token idea, uh, to basically just buy time. Um, we've, yeah, I mean, we've seen this other places with, um, you know, in the, in the educational, in the education, uh, uh, Issues we've seen in, in many different issues. It's uh, marijuana uh, legalization. Uh, it's just a way to buy time and slow play it while everybody gets their uh, sort of ducks in a row and decides uh, what can be killed, how far you have to go. Hopefully, there's another election cycle where you don't have to deal with it, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm I'm not surprised that uh, that this has happened. But you also mentioned. Of course, meetings being held during working hours, um, short short um, notice for dates and times. And so it's very, very difficult in that scenario to get community members and activists uh, involved. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that issue. 
Well, I mean, even as a subcommittee member, we weren't necessarily given, in the beginning, we were given, I would say, two to three weeks notice when meetings were to be, were held. But towards the last couple of meetings, we weren't given more than, I'd say, maybe a week and a half notice, if that. And I mean, yeah, most subcommittee members have day jobs, you know, um, we had Misty Siemens, who I, I believe you spoke with, you know, she's a public defender, so she definitely has a, you know, active day job. Um, I do as well. And so, yeah, the meetings would be, there was no um, discussion or vote in my subcommittee about when meetings would be held, what days or times work better. They were just, you know, a week in advance, we would say, hey, there's a meeting you know, at one thirty on next Wednesday or something. And um, if it was difficult for us as subcommittee members, I can only imagine what that's like for the public and particularly people working in hourly jobs or that sort of thing where they can't, you know, that three hours of vacation time or whatever they put in is hurting their pockets. Yeah, I mean, this is what, and I try to, I try to point this out and highlight it every time it comes up because people talk about systemic obstacles to change, uh, and it's sort of a broad statement. And people sort of understand, yeah, there's a system; it's hard to get into it. But this is a on the ground, tangible example. Um, you know, you you make these, you you make uh, in, you know inclusion in these groups very difficult. You make their the meetings and, and involvement very difficult, and 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 this is the this is the outcome that you have. And I think it's always important to say, yeah, when when we use sort of whatever you want to call it, organizer activist terms like systemic uh, obstacles or whatever, it's good to always point out when they happen to people and it's very clear what's going on, that's what we're talking about. Right. No, I totally agree. There were, I would say, our first probably two to three meetings in my subcommittee, there were there was no public um, there at all. And I believe by the meetings where towards the end when we were getting um, forming our recommendations fully and um, going to vote on them, there were public comments. But yeah, they were very, definitely the first one was very scarcely attended by anyone that wasn't the task force or um, my mom. <laughs> the last one I want to touch on um, is, is important because it's, you know, we talk about it again in, in sort of broad terms, but you put it in very specific terms. Out of the 18 people appointed to sit as voting task force members, six were associated with the police. That's retired or active police officers, police representatives, or Department of Justice or Criminal Justice Council officials. Of the 72 members of the subcommittee, over 20, over 20 21 were associated uh, with the police. Um, Obviously, this is an issue that uh, impacts all of, of governance in, in politics in Delaware. Um, I'm very glad that um, you called it out in such stark terms in this letter. And if you could just sort of talk about what, you know, how that representation and having the police police the police, um, how that has impacted some of this work and how it has slowed it down to the point of, basically these signatories saying they have no confidence in this process. Yeah, I think first, I mean, it, the Delaware General Assembly in general is um, very police heavy, right? A lot of um, can, uh, a lot of our legislators are former retired officers. Um, even uh, Representative Cook is an officer and he is uh, the co-chair of the, the task force. And so I, my subcommittee had, you know, the president of FOP there on it and um, Colonel Zebley and, you know, like it, it was a lot. It, there were a lot. Um, I'll say there, and I don't want to completely um, bash there. Um, involvement was helpful in that there were something 
obviously, I don't work in law enforcement. Um, so their involvement did teach me a lot about the process and some of the things that they have in place and some of the things that are commonplace there. But um, yeah, some I can't say it's all on them for Stalin and my, and my subcommittee necessarily. I think they ultimately voted on all the recommendations that we all did, voted for all the recommendations that we all did. But um, it definitely felt a little like sometimes we were, it was a us against them, even in the subcommittees. It was, you know, there was sometimes that push and pull. And I can only imagine that the same is true in the other subcommittees and maybe even the task force at large when that, whenever they <laughs> do, you know, meet and uh, vote on these recommendations that the subcommittee sent them. Yeah, you mentioned um, sort of being enlightened by at least some some of the input from uh, police affiliated and ex police. Can you what 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 kind of things did you have to consider based on stuff they were bringing to the table that you hadn't before? Um, there was so just things about the process and um, like I was really pushing for making data public and wanting to have a public facing database um, with a lot of you know stop information, use of force, and for demographic information, et cetera. And they told me that um, they were basically, that they, they walked us through the process on what happens when an officer is called to a location and they fill out their initial report, what information is there, um, how they, um, how they edit the information if something is found out later, those sort of things. So that was helpful for me wanting to push for public data, understanding what data they have when they get, you know, what data they have when they get there in the process of reconciling any differences in that data um, afterwards. Yeah, sort of procedural stuff. Yeah. So those things that, I mean, you don't know unless you're a cop, right? Yeah. So let's, um, I, I, I wanted to uh, just read uh, a couple of more lines out of the letter and then also sort of talk about Franklin Cook and, and, you know, and talk about my feelings about, you know, the different interests on the, on the committee. Cause I, I, I got some more, you know, I got a little piece of information, uh, from a legislator a couple of weeks ago that I thought was interesting, but I thought was also um, very telling. So, um, so the letter goes on to say Delaware general, uh, general assembly and government officials do not have a history of following the recommendations of task forces. This history, alongside the slow pace of this committee, has weakened both our and the community's faith in our lawmakers. As a result, we urge the Delaware Legislative Black Caucus, the Delaware General Assembly leadership and members, and the Carney administration to act now on meaningful amendments to the Law Officers' Bill of Rights. Specifically, we call for amendments to Leobor and the Freedom of Information Act to ensure public access to police misconduct records and to allow for the establishment of effective civilian review boards that have the ability to monitor, investigate, and respond to police misconduct without undue interference from collective bargaining agreements and the police union. Um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, obviously we're pro-labor here. We're, we're very pro-worker, um, no matter what, uh, except for the police union. We don't recognize them as a union, uh, again, because um, it isn't a union, Um the the management and and the workers are all on the same team trying to do the same thing and that's not a union and so we don't recognize them uh, i'll also say i'm a strong i'm i'm from detroit both of my parents are union employees my mom has been a member of aft for my whole life the american federation of teachers and my dad retired IBW. so i'm definitely pro-union as well i worked in a union environment um, I wasn't in the union. I'm an engineer, but the police union does something no others have. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a strange uh, it's a strange setup. Uh, it's not. I mean, uh, you know, I spoke with Matt Meyer. Uh, a year ago or so when he was having his uh, sort of conflict with the union and you know and they they did a demonstration against him and and pulled out um, scabby the scabby rat you know which is a union symbol for you know people people crossing a picket line working as scabs um, but like 
that, that doesn't even make any sense in this in this station. Like a scab is somebody. He's not hiring scab police while you go on strike. You're just. It doesn't. Every everything about a police union is is very very odd and against really what labor uh, organizing is supposed to be about. Um, but I, I did want to say a word about Franklin Cook because it it it, it did make me think, and I and I don't know what you know, what to make of it. Um, I was before this letter even came out. I was on a phone call with a, 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 a elected legislator. I won't say who because it, I was off the record. Uh, but I was bitching about this task force, um, and uh, and you know he said, well, you know, and I said, you know, that's all full of cops. Franklin Cook's a cop, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, well, Franklin Cook's a good guy, and of course, but and he also was part of internal affairs, you know, trying to ferret out, ferret out, you know, uh, bad cops. So I said, well, that's that's great and everything, but it's not working. So like I wouldn't that's why it got me thinking like well I'm I'm glad that there are somebody who probably other police didn't like but that's not good enough. I mean if if I if I was an internal affairs officer for uh the, the Newcastle County Police and I saw the the Lamont Moses video I would think of I would consider my career a, an abject failure. I mean who who's like I wouldn't tell anybody <laughs> that that was my job because you're, you're not, you're, you're, it's horrible, you know? So I, I don't, I think we have to start and, and, th and, and I think this is why I was so excited about this, this step, this, you know, this public airing of no confidence for these reasons, you know, we have to start saying, calling things as they are. The cops are a secret cabal, um, that don't want to be told anything about what they're doing. Um, there's no information they, they act with impunity and, you know, it needs to be called out. And I think this is a, this is a huge first step in calling it out. Uh, yeah. I think that, like I said, there is, it, I can recognize, I think everyone can, that law enforcement is a unique position in society, right? It's, it's different from, I don't know, you know, um, a teacher's job or teacher's unions or that sort of thing. I think we all understand that. And that's the first thing that law enforcement officers say. Our job is so different. I agree. And so you need to be held to different standards than, you know, the world doesn't stop if, or lives aren't significantly impacted if a, an assembly employee in a union doesn't show up to work or does a bad job. There's usually some sort of quality control, et cetera, that catches that, you know, bad product. In this case, if you have a bad day, quote unquote, bad day or do a bad job, people end up dead. Like families end up grieving, communities end up hurting. This is, this is a different job and it requires different, um, it, there are different expectations. And so there are, the fact that the union is, the FOP is so, is beyond any protections in any other union, is like beyond what's necessary <laughs> at all. Like Delaware had some of the strictest um, privacy rules for no reason. Yeah, I've said before, my position is if First of all, I don't necessarily think that inherently the police job is so different. I think that's a, that's an excuse. But I also think for in in whatever way it is different, if we if we do want to stipulate that. Um then the way I would describe the difference is though the police forces are the only public servants, the only people really uh in the country that have that are legally allowed to use violence, uh, that have a, a complete a monopoly on the use of violence when, you know, when we say it's appropriate. So if that's the case, if that's how we're going to do it, if, if, the, if, the, if democratically we're going to so decide that the police are different and we're going to give them the monopoly of, of, of violence, of using violence, then the standard should be higher, not lower. Exactly. So we've set up a lower standard and, and, a, and, a, and a secret standard uh, for people who should have the highest standard. Uh, 
Exactly. Um, so that's the way that I transparency. Yeah. yeah. It should be the the Seifert case that you mentioned. Now, I read about it when it first happened because obviously I'm interested in this sort of thing. I remember seeing the initial article about it, and then I did read the article about her family saying that she was shot through a closed door. Now, I don't know what facts or how the family came to that, but I also shouldn't have to guess. I shouldn't be concerned that police may have killed a woman through a closed door in her home. Like, that is terrifying. And I, we as the public should know that. The police should, there should have been, you know, the the press conferences and things. Anytime a deadly use of force we should, I shouldn't be left guessing, did the police really kill a woman in her home through a closed door? Now the, the doubt is up out there and they aren't doing anything to the the smallest amount of transparency. Yeah, and, and that, that's really the problem. And I, I wanted to sort of juxtapose what we see in all of these cases, the secrecy, the you know, really work is done to come up with a story to convince. And, and, and again, they don't have to convince everybody because nobody really f follows it. They've already been convinced. But that whatever the police do is fine. Uh, like they'll, they'll come up with they heard a shot or she said she had a gun or this didn't happen this way or, or you know, whatever. It's all it's all bullshit in, as, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but the biggest problem I have with it and what you've demonstrated um, uh, with your colleagues and the signatories of this letter is that if you if you don't want this kind of heat, then step up and fix it. Um, I I noticed that uh, as we speak, um, the the trial of Derek Chauvin, uh, the ex cop uh, who murdered George Floyd, is going on. And I was I I haven't been following it closely because I just. I'm I'm not, I'm I'm not in a headspace like I can't I can't get my head together to to go through it uh, and follow it like that. But I did see last week I guess um, the chief of police or somebody high up in the Minneapolis police uh, basically took the stand for the prosecution and said, "Yeah, this is not we don't do it like this. This is not right." Um, which is like thanks for doing the absolute least you could do. But 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 it happened. You, I don't know if I've ever. If, and I follow these sort of like you. Obviously, I don't follow the, the the case, the trial day to day because it's too it's too much. But um, but I follow these stories closely as you do, and I don't know if I've ever if I've ever seen something like that happen. Um, but that's an example of like if if you don't want this heat, and you don't want to be, uh, you know. And I think I will say that. You know, it is divisive. Like, I understand that, you know, the, the cops are inherently reactionary. Um, they understand through years and years of conditioning that they do have a monopoly of violence and they can use it, you know, sort of with impunity. And so the heat that they get from people like me and from activists and from organizers and from uh, from protests and demonstrations and Black Lives Matter and all of this, I understand that that's going to create a, an environment where if 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 we don't address it, it they're only going to get more extreme. And I really think that's sort of where we're at. So really, you know, if 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 there are good police, which I'm always told that there are, I've I've yet to find one really um but i'm always people are trying to convince me that they exist then uh, the police should be marching in the street about what happened uh to lamont moses for example i mean if you're if i was a newcastle county cop and, and my colleagues went into the city of wilmington and murdered a guy on video i mean is that okay are we just gonna is it, the silence is, is is deafening like i don't hear anything what's happening it is deafening and that is that is ultimately what the letter to the General Assembly was. Like, hey, you commissioned this task force, and I'm not necessarily anti-task force. I understand that they have not been very effective in the state, but I do think, you know, there are some tough, um, not everything is easy, and there could be work groups and study groups set up to get through some tough issues, but 
Leo Porter, we're as we're talking about three lines that really make this a wall of silence. The General Assembly are the only people who can act on Leo Porter. It is state law. The Attorney General can't. The Governor can't. We're asking. The General Assembly is well aware of what we're talking about, so you don't need a task force to take the first step. Now you can, we can study how to get civilian review boards up and running and that sort of thing. That is a task force would be helpful in those situations. But to get basic transparency, the General Assembly can act now. And that, yeah, is I. When planes crash, there is an investigation, an entire investigation, multi, you know, multilateral, m- multiple agencies, the, um, the airline companies that are involved, et cetera, et cetera. This is a big deal. When people die in hospitals under certain conditions, again, an investigation is posed. Everyone understands that's the way you know this is the way it goes beyond that sops are written right procedures are changed etc so that certain things plane crashes never happen again that's why they aren't as common right they aren't very common we aren't seeing planes fall out the sky as often as we're seeing black people die at the hands of police because we change things through those investigations policing is the one thing where it happens they they say there is an investigation. Maybe there is. And then nothing changes for the next time. And then nothing changes again for the next time, like over and over. And it's like, if any other, if people were dying left and right in my field like that, there would be, <laughs> we would, whoa, we got to get this under control, right? Like it's, it's insane. And it is, very disheartening it's very disheartening because it definitely the term black lives matter shouldn't be radical and it is and that's a shame yeah i mean uh as i said people have said this on the show the the most radical concept in this whole discussion is why there's a cop bill of rights that's what's radical you know uh so yeah, my 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 gig has been to try to sort of start pushing back on these things that people just accept as, um, you know, tr- the truth. Yeah, like you said, you, you mentioned earlier about you know there are aspects to the police job that are unique uh, and different, and I and I suppose that that's true. I don't I think that what they what that means is something different, but I also I I. Uh, I encourage people to look at people say, you know, being a cop is dangerous and they put their lives on the line. I, I encourage people to look at deaths and injuries in, in particular professions and as they're tracked across the country, because being a police officer is not very dangerous, as a matter of fact. Yeah, actually, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it is. And I do push back on the idea that they're always on edge, et cetera. Like, I don't know. I there are, we train surgeons, right? Surgeons go through like 14 years of training before they're able to, you know, just get a scalpel and go off on their own. And um, we train officers who we give at least three weapons. Every cop I know has a baton, a gun, and mace, right? Like strong mace to clear out a crowd, right? So that's at least three weapons and they get less training than my barber. You know, like my hairstylist has to go through thousands of hours of training to make sure she isn't, you know, I don't know, giving me a staph infection or something, washing my hair. But cop on average go through a couple hundred hours of training and they're given three weapons and put on the street. (laughs) yeah, I mean, I've said this before. My my wife, Nurse Susan, is a real nurse, uh, a real <laughs> a real RN, uh, and she talks about the licensing in, in medical. You know, she's managed other nurses and worked in in state situations in Maryland, and um, yeah, she's like licensing is very important. If you make a mistake, you know, even if it's uh, you know a good faith mistake, you're going to get in trouble. 
and if and if you certainly are 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 negligent um, there's going to be issues against the licensing that you have as you said to be a surgeon to be a nurse um, the the thing you know you know if you hear a story about a teacher doing anything sort of untoward uh, you know the, 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 the things come down on them and they lose their job um, but yeah I haven't for, heard one teacher defend the teacher what was that one remember back a while ago the teacher who like had kids by that <laughs> student Oh no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when a teacher when when so and, and that's the other thing too, when another professional, people have professional ethics. So if I'm a certain if I'm a licensed professional and I see another professional do something that's like, oh boy, that person's ostracized because it because it, it it reflects upon my profession. But in but in this case everything is completely the other way around. And it's 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 bizarre and again, I just keep pushing back on this because you know, we'll we'll get away from the the uh, the Lamont Moses and 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 talk about the, the a very similar incident uh, with Jabri Hunter in the city. Now, there's there's no video available yet. I, I know that some exist because it was in a place, even though it was Wilmington Police, it was in a place that CCTV is is covered. Um, so I know that it exists. Uh, those officers were, you know, uh, were found to be fine. That well, that was fine. But what did they do? They they woke somebody up sleeping in their car, just like they did with with Mr. Moses. Now, if it's so dangerous and you're so scared, why are you poking shit in somebody's win like car window? If you're so afraid, why are you opening their doors? Why are you screaming commands at them? Why are if you're afraid? Why are you acting this way? Why is this the way that you're supposed to uh, control people and control crowds and investigate issues and try to help people? Why is this um, your procedure? Makes no sense. Yeah. I, it, I, it's almost like we forgot that the job of law enforcement, quote unquote, is to protect and serve. <laughs> like, we forgot that their job is the protect part. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, th this should be really like low touch instead of heavy touch. But again, but I think, again, the things that we the things that we can't say or that nobody and, and, and this is why this step is so important to start um, really calling it out and being contrarian and saying this process doesn't work is that I'll use Wilmington as an example, but it, 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 it's probably the same in a lot of different places for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, we have a real estate developer mayor who became very, very wealthy developing real estate. And now the company that helped him be very wealthy is developing more real estate. And so the police are there to protect that real estate at whatever cost. Um, we saw this with the with Simba's arrest during the demonstration on Market Street. They're there to make sure that people can go eat at Bardea um, and go to the Grand. Uh, now, obviously, it hasn't happened as much during the coronavirus, but really, that's why they're there. So the people that are excited that a new bar or restaurant or a new thing is opening up, but they don't, you know, that they're, they're there to protect, you know, rich people having a good time. And like... So we've 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 tasked police officers with doing something they sh they really shouldn't be doing. Uh, you know, the protect protect and serve means means the people, not not the you know not the revenue uh, that Puccini Pond can make renting out buildings to fancy restaurants or whatever. Like that's exactly. not what it's about. And, or dealing with mental health issues. I don't. Yeah. Officers are not trained for that now. Should they be? That's a question. Um, but we should also have robust community services that deal with that. The the woman, the Seifert woman, she caught, she knew that she needed help. And her only option was to call the police for help. That, like, it shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. Just like we all learned 911 and school we should learn you know 111 the mental health line or whatever it, it is because that should not have been her only option she knew she needed help and she ended up dead now 
What happened in between that time? Unfortunately, we have no clue. And we may never know because of Leo Bor. But that shouldn't have happened. If she, she knew that she needed help and because of the restrictions of of uh, the cop bill of rights most of the most of the rhetoric and most of the discussion has been around the transparency issue data sharing the things that you mentioned before um has there been any discussion about alternatives because i know denver is a great example because it's been extremely successful but other places have done it too i think austin texas as part of their uh as, as part of their defund and and reform the police have done this too where they do not send police out to calls like this they send um uh, social workers they send uh, medical people uh, you know, whatever they don't, you don't, if somebody's having a mental health episode, you don't need to send, uh, you know, armed paramilitary. It's not, it's not necessary. There's no, nobody's like the person themselves called and says, I'm, I'm having some kind of episode. Um, I mean, they're a threat to themselves, but you know, it's not, it's simply not necessary, you know? So I don't know if, if, if things like that are ever, I, I feel like we I, and and perhaps we can't get to that point to discuss some of those reforms until we at least uh, sort of get past the wall of silence and get past a, the, a bill of rights for somebody for like a special. Pro so maybe that's not possible. But I wonder if anything, if any of those kind of changes ever come up in these type of discussions. Yeah, I would love to see what's coming out from the other task force, the uh, training task force and the community policing task force uh, subcommittees. Because that, I'm, I would hope those conversations are being had. They are, yeah, no one should, that was a call, you know, even if the police answered, they should be sending out someone else to handle that. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's very, um, it's scary, actually. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who, uh, and, and it's, you know, it's obviously, it's, it's not the first time uh, that this has happened. I mean the 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 list of of police, um, you know, killing mentally ill people in the middle of ser serious episodes is actually long. Um, sometimes the wrong people get killed, uh, and and uh, yeah, I mean I've I've been a uh, I've talked about a little bit having my own you know sort of uh, mental health issues that I've dealt with throughout my life, and you know it's scary. You're like, you, you know, you need help and you're in a situation where you need help and you're not thinking clearly and, 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 and your world sort of falling apart. And then, you know, armed people draw guns on you and start screaming at you. Yeah. And and you're like, that's the last thing. Yeah. You scream, you know, stop resisting, stop resisting as they kick you in the jaw and, and, sh and, and shoot you through a door. It's 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 just it's not. The, the, the terms of the conversation need to shift the the bound the boundaries of the conversation need to shift and i'm just i'm i'm really um just happy that it seems like they finally are doing that which is which is cool yeah i'm glad i am glad that a broad a broader conversation is being had and i will say i think the conversation is a lot more targeted and focused than it was in you know 2014 after mike brown and that situation when Black Lives Matter was first forming, um, you know, there was there was a lot of talk and but the conversation ended shortly until the next one, until the next one. And so I think now we're finally and by we, you know, nationwide are finally in a position where cities are, you know, making those moves. I think Delaware, you know, Delaware for whatever reason is stuck way far behind but we have the opportunity to really to be a leader in certain areas i don't understand why like i didn't know until i was on the subcommittee that delaware has over like 40 police departments delaware has less than a million people <laughs> why do we have 40 plus police departments that's insane like we are we are a small state but we can pack a mighty punch in this area if we really have deep conversations and change the thought process behind law enforcement. Yeah, I've I've explored um, 
sort of the the idea of the we'll just say uniqueness or strangeness of Delaware, and and you know it, it's easy to come down to size because yeah I mean eight hundred thousand people or whatever it is. Um, and it comes up with the, the school districts too. Like, why is there, why are there 57 school districts in this, in this state or whatever it is? Um, so say so yeah, something ridiculous and like, why, why is that? Um, and again, I, this, this, the size of it is one thing, but I, I, there's other, there, there is significant, um, economic and class factors at play. There always have been, there are significant, um, racial, uh, uh, issues at play there always have been and i think that the fact that it's it's a it's a corporate um it's a corporate tax haven uh for for banks and llcs uh it's a, a you know it is a um a very insular uh sort of place because it sits sort of on the east coast between other big markets so a lot of stuff can happen sort of under the radar yeah i mean the size of it is one thing uh, but there are, uh, but you know, I, there's definitely other things that are that are coming to bear, and you know, again, I think th- I think the wealth and income inequality and the class issue are huge. I think that um, you know the elites in this state um, don't want to have to think about this stuff. They don't. They, they don't. It doesn't touch their their life. Um, you know, they are wealthy enough to not have to deal with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's a huge that's a huge problem because when you try to change the when you try to change the boundaries of the conversation, um, there are a lot of people who are who who just don't understand what you're talking about, and for for a, for a, a, a majority for a, a, a various reasons, and those are the people that I I wonder how we're going to get on some of these other issues. So like, yeah, I mean, you can't have uh, housing being a huge one. You know, if if we address like housing and mental health, just say those two how would that impact how things have to be policed you know but nobody has that conversation everything happens within a silo so housing is about housing if we even talk about housing which sometimes we don't even but you know mental health is about mental health if we even talk about it if we even talk about getting people you know the care that they need uh poor and working people who can't afford it just like they can't afford housing how would all of this impact, um, you know, how we would have, how the how the armed agents of the state would have to come down on people if we actually, you know, looked at humanity a little bit differently? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I will say, I think that the national conversation has shifted a little bit more towards all of the factors, right? Um, but I, race is a problem, and we are. Um, actually, I spoke with Fred Calhoun. He called me after our last subcommittee meeting. And I was like, you know, he he was telling me that, um, you know, certain neighborhoods get certain rep- reputations. If you're in, you know, whatever Hispanic neighborhood, you think everybody has a knife. If you're in certain neighborhoods, you think everybody is on drugs or et cetera. And I was like, sure, Frank, uh, Fred, <laughs> but... Why are so many Black people ending up dead at the hands of police? And he had to recognize that, yeah, race is a problem. And so I don't, I mean, we know all these, all these things tied together, right? Like Beyonce and Serena Williams almost died in childbirth. They're richer than, you know, <laughs> any of us can imagine. Serena Williams is a, a hell of an athlete. She's not in bad shape. And she almost died in childbirth. (laughs) Right. Like she almost died in childbirth. Um, Skip Gates was arrested at his own home. (laughs) Like, so yeah, I do. There are factors and poverty is a big one and, you know, mental illness and those sort of things. But I am still more likely, and I'm not, you know, I'm not rich, but I'm definitely um, firmly middle-class. I'm married, you know, I have two small children. I'm pretty much the typical suburban mom, besides the fact I'm not white. And I'm still more likely to have a daily encounter with law enforcement. No, that's absolutely, it's absolutely true. Um, There's so much, you know, sort of baked into this 
whole issue as we talked about it. Um, Shit <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely that. It's definitely that. Um, I, I, I can tell you, Annette, this is a good time to sort of like plug it because I haven't talked about it. But um, we're getting ready to record the first of a series of episodes um, that are going to be in, produced in partnership with the ACLU and the Delaware Call um, that are going to be sort of uh, justice episodes. It's going to talk about all of the different um, projects and, and issue campaigns that the ACLU are doing. And I noticed because Hanif, Hanif is, a, is a signatory, uh, Hanif Salam, Salam uh, is a signatory of the letter and was on one of these subcommittees. He'll be coming in in, a couple, I think, two weeks um, to talk about some of the smart justice stuff that he's doing. And we're going to, and we're going to keep covering this stuff because yeah, it, it needs to be, it, it, the, the conversation needs to be shifted um, uh, pretty significantly uh, because this is, um, you know, these incidents and they're what I just call them cover-ups. I mean, it's just a cover-up. Uh, we've agreed that, you know, certain people are allowed to do certain things. So we just haven't done anything about it, but yeah, it's a real cover up. And, um, and, and I hope that people start following these, uh, closely. So what's the, what's the, what's the end game here now? Have you heard anything back after this letter? I mean, what, I mean, the, 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 the general assembly has, has, has mandated that at least the, that the Franklin cooks committee take recommendations from these subcommittees. Um, it's not really happening. We see, and, and as I said before, we've seen it with marijuana legalization. We've seen it with the Reading Consortium. The Reading Consortium has made recommendations, but I mean, it's been two years already. Like, you know, uh, I don't know how long we're supposed to wait. Um, but but now that you've kind of called out that the task force uh, process here in the state, where where are we going? What 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 do you what do you expect? How, how do you expect this to play itself out? So I have, I mean, there are words on the street. I've heard that the uh, Legislative Black Caucus was offended by the letter. I heard that um, we may, the nine of us may be getting removed from the subcommittees. Um, like I said, these are words on the street. Um, I don't know what's next for the General Assembly. I do know that Senator Lachman and Representative uh, Kendra Johnson are working on amendments to Leo Board. I do know that Kathy Jennings has um, submitted a piece of legislation um, about various things, but I believe it also includes Leo Board. Um, on the General Assembly side, I don't know, but I know next we've started an issue campaign of Network Delaware for um, fair policing, and we will be in uh, Representative Cook's district and Representative Darius Brown's district, and we'll be knocking on some doors and making some noise until we get um, the amendments that allow for transparency and accountability. Yeah, I think it's important to note that if if you're listening to this and this is an issue that you want to get involved with and you want to help out with some of this canvassing effort or the issue campaign, um, contact Network Delaware on the website. All the information's there. All of the issue campaigns, all the issue campaigns are there. This one as well, because I do think it's important. I mean, it's interesting that you say that. You know, you 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 talked about the integral part of the of the race issue and the and and you know. That can't be denied. Uh, that's that's a huge, huge part of this problem. Yet, uh, yet Darius Brown, Franklin Cook, uh, the list goes on of elected legislators uh, who are from the Black and Brown community that we can't count on. And it's a real. It's kind of a shame. I'll, yeah, I'll say this. I think that the rest of the General Assembly, because I was in a meeting with um, a, a senator, a white senator. And she um, she was asked the question about changement, change amendments to Leobor. And her um, response was, you know, we're waiting on Frank Cook's task force. So I will say that I think that um, the, the white members of the General Assembly are hiding behind um, that and Representative Cook and the task force in general. But I also say, um, I think, you know, Representative Cook is a cop. Cook is a cop. No, no doubt. I mean, that's a, that's a fact. That is a fact. You raise a good point because I, I like to get my I like to get my feathers up a little bit 
about people hiding and 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 uh, trying to you know trying to duck and, and we bob and weave out of this. Um, you know, I I I hope. Um, I hope it's none of my, uh, you know, none of the squad. I hope, you know, I think luckily some of the newer uh, members, uh, I'm thinking about like Eric Morrison, uh, like I know where he's coming from. Like I know he's good, uh, but there are there are some other um, Caucasian persuasion elected officials who pretend who pretend to be uh, progressive and pretend to be our comrades. Well, you know, it's about time they're going to get called the fuck out, too. Because it's not, a, you know, just it's no, yeah, it's funny that you said that because I had that conversation with the elected official who told me Franklin Cook was a, was a, a internal affairs uh, cop. That elected official was also white. And it made me, now I'm thinking like all these people are hiding. They're trying to duck it. And I don't, uh, yeah, I, I don't play like that. I don't like that either. So yeah, this is going to be something that's going to come up and, and hopefully we're able to um, to, to leverage this uh, partnership with the ACLU to start talking about who we're really going to start who we're really going to start targeting with this because um, yeah it really it, 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 it needs to be addressed quickly because it's 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 just acutely deadly I mean it's, it's, and we're not asking for like I, we're not even going as far as saying abolish Leo border right we're just talking about editing three or four line items that, like. We're talking about a quick whip of the pen, and the General Assembly is acting like they've never heard these things before or they don't understand. There are so many state legislators that are doing a lot of things on policing and law enforcement and have been for years and years. Like, it's not that hard. Like, (laughs) and I'm not saying that every issue is not. There are some things I think that there does need to be a longer conversation about civilian review boards and how we can make them effective because a lot in other states are not effective. um, And that's not what we want. But talking about, I mean, damn, if if police kill someone, can we get a press conference? (laughs) Like, can if can I know as a citizen, can I know how many complaints are from my neighborhood are um, levied against my neighborhood police department. Like I can't even know a number. I have no clue for all that. I live in Middletown. Middletown has a police department. It's in Newcastle County. There's a County police department, the state police department. I have no clue how many complaints are levied against any of those police departments year after year. I ha- this is basic as far as I'm concerned. And there was a, a lot of discussion around, you know, that information being public. And, and I hope that when it gets to the task force, those recommendations flow through to the General Assembly. We need some sort of um, public facing dashboard, some sort of public facing database so people can know these things. And I also think that it would help the police, to be honest, if you're getting, I don't know, a hundred, complaints a year about one specific thing, even if they're all found to be unsubstantiated in some sort of internal investigation, to me, that speaks to culture. Are you training officers wrong if everybody thinks that officers are, you know, I don't know, bullying them or officers are spitting on them, then maybe it's the way that you're training them. Maybe something in your training is, um, you know, not suffice or something in your training, the way that you're training officers is um, coming off incorrectly or something like that's the sort of thing that we're asking for. Just let us know. Yeah. My, my view is like, I think it's a cultural thing. I, I, I because again, I mean, we talked about, uh, for example, the, the cop that, that shot you him, uh, you know, and then, uh, he, he's facing charges now cause he did, he took, he changed the barrel of his gun and he, he lied about the, what happened and, the ex, and all of this stuff. Now, uh, you know, his colleagues knew that that guy's no good. Like this is not, they, they're talking about changing barrels of gun. You know, he's not the only one who did it. So, um, if, if you don't, if you don't want people like me to call you a pig in the street, then step up and and clean clean up. 
Um, so that's that's the that's the answer. I mean, and I think you know whether that. I don't think that's actually training. I think they can be trained to do whatever they can do. I I, I honestly think it's a um it's it's a cultural uh, thing. Oh within, yeah, I'm not saying a, that it that it is our training. I'm, oh, yeah. I definitely think that it's cultural, and that those cultures thrive in silence, and that's the problem. It's time time for some light because if I knew that my police department had 200 complaints a year of sexual harassment. Well, now I can do, as a community person, I can do something about that. I can go to my chief. I can go to my mayor. I can go to my representatives and ask what the hell is going on here. But we don't. We don't know. Yeah. Last thing, since you brought it up, I, I it was in the letter. You just brought it up, and I, I've had this conversation within the city of Wilmington with like with with Kobe Owens and some other activists about the civilian review board because I know it's 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 something that activists in Wilmington and statewide, and you mentioned it, it was in uh, in the letter about some of the recommendations, but. Um, everything I've read about those that have been in other places just haven't really worked the way um, that they, they meant to work. And I don't know if that's if that's because of the way that the, the makeup of them or what authority they're given. Um, but can you touch on that a little bit? Because people say rev civilian review board and it sounds great, um, but you have to be very careful about uh, sort of what recommendations and how it's stood up, because a lot of them uh, in other places have not been successful. Yeah, actually, this was a pretty big conversation because I was not necessarily on the side of creating civilian review boards um, simply because of that. They never have teeth. They, um, the way that they operate in other states, they sometimes they get that information after, you know, the internal affairs investigation or way afterwards where they can sort of just see what happened um, or they they never get any information or they're, you know, limited to stops and frisks and not the use of force things. So I didn't, I don't want um, a bunch of ineffective groups, right? Because I don't want the general assembly or the governor or the attorney general to say, we gave you what you wanted, right? Like here's this broken toy. Um, I want, I want something that has teeth. Part of the reason some civilian review boards are ineffective is because it's literally civilians, lay people on them that, you know, I mean, I follow follow what's going on in the news, but I have, like I said, I'm not a trained law enforcement officer. I don't know all the procedures and circumstances. And so what I'm saying could be completely off. So that that's part of it. Not that People shouldn't be on them, but think people like public defenders, they're needed on those sort of things because they know how it interacts with the poorest public, right? If you need a public defender, you likely don't have the income. Um, and if <laughs> for poor people trying to go against police officers, that's a heavy lift. So we, in Delaware, we have something called the Council on Police Training, which is um, a bit of a misnomer. And that was one thing that our subcommittee recommended that, so the council on police training right now, they can decertify an officer, but the way that it works right now. So if there is a use of force case, there is an internal investigation in that department, they can ask COPT to get involved or they don't have to. So right now COPT is only involved um, on a past basis. Now, if the internal affairs investigation decide, yeah, this officer was wrong, then they would be sent to the council on police training to um, determine whether they need to be decertified or not. So part of our recommendation was, first of all, right now, COPT lives under the state department. So Colonel Zebley was, is already making changes to sort of, to give them a little more independence. Then the recommendation was, no, COPT needs to step in for any use of force. It can be a parallel investigation with internal affairs and also add some civilians who have the knowledge and withdraw to that council so that now this is, is more of a statewide civilian review board that can decertify an officer that actually has that power. And so that was something that I was pushing for more than, you know, 
40 whatever different civilian review boards that may or may not do anything. But to our whole point, Leobor and FOIA has to change in order for it to even be possible. Well, legislators, uh, I feel free to uh, to kick uh, Crystal off the subcommittee. Feel free to uh, to kick it, kick them all off. Because um, I did see this morning that the uh, the the, the Delaware Republican legislators are, are going to are pushing to to set up a plan to go back into in person uh, work uh, at Legislative Hall. And um, yeah, I, I I actually look forward to that. I get my second uh, my second COVID jab on the twenty second of this month. I get mine next week. Nice. Um, as soon as as soon as I'm uh, I'm fully vaxxed, I mean I I'd be happy to come down where y'all are, uh, and we'll we'll have a subcommittee right there in the lobby. I'll have Crystal Hanif, Doctor Payne. Uh, we'll all come and I'll I'll gavel it in the fucking session. And then we'll just go into different offices, and we'll 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 swear in witnesses in your office, and we'll come talk to you. So yeah, I mean we'll do. I will seat a subcommittee, and we'll call it the the Highlands Bunker Subcommittee, and we'll gavel in, and we'll go into places, and we'll have our own hearings. We'll take our own notes, and we'll deliver our own report. So yeah, um, the, we'll bring two hundred of our vaccinated friends. Y- yes. Uh, how how how's that sound, everybody? Folks, thanks again for tuning in to the Highlands Bunker Podcast. Uh, please, if you can, consider a patronage at, at patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Support our work with 5 or $10 a month. Um, if not for me, for Carl, think about Carl. <laughs> um, Adopt a yeah. Carl. <laughs> Adopt a Carl, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, we're at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. You know Delaware Call is good, DelawareCall.com. You can also support our work there. Or what you also can do is if you just want regular updates of what we're throwing on uh, Delaware's premier progressive online magazine, you can uh, click on a, a new link on the webpage to just get email updates uh, without having to go through a lot of uh, shenanigans. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can keep yourself informed about what's going on. And I, uh, I encourage you to... Uh, to do all of them, especially signing up for a patronage to Highlands Bunker Podcast. Crystal, thank you so much for coming in. And I, I, I you know, I kind of joke around about it, but I really appreciate uh, yourself and the signatories taking this step um, to sort of call out, um, you know, like not only this particular process, but the task force process in general. Uh, because I, for a long time, have had no confidence in it either, and I'm glad that somebody has officially expressed uh, their lack of confidence in this process. No, no thank you necessary. It is necessary that we work, and, um, you know, some, to whom much is given, much is expected, and we got to get some stuff done. The Thank Campaign you. for Fair Policing, Network Delaware, join. Campaign for Fair Policing, and you know what's best, everybody, left. Left.